to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your host, Matthias, from the Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches. And uh, the Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by MND Safety, a global leader in avalanche hazard management. And also our good friends at Ten Bell Brewing, drink beer outside, with additional support from Into West Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. Hello and welcome to the second European episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast, which is brought to you by the Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches. My name is Matthias Walcher and I am your host for this episode. Today we are talking about hang fire and secondary avalanches, which are threatening rescuers during uh, organized avalanche rescue operations. This winter, two incidents of this kind happened in the eastern part of the Alps, in Slovenia and in Austria. And in both cases, rescuers showed up on the scene to respond to an avalanche. And while they were operating on the debris, another secondary avalanche was released from above and threatened the rescuers. However, in both cases, luckily, all rescuers survived. So after hearing of these incidents, I thought that this would be a great learning opportunity for everybody who is potentially involved in organized winter rescue operations or professionally involved in any avalanche related work or backcountry recreational activities really, since we never know when we might have to respond to an avalanche incident. And lucky me or, or lucky us, I found two great interview partners for this episode, sharing their experience evolving around these incidents. And uh, in the first part of today's episode, we are talking about an incident which occurred in Obertauern in Austria in uh, mid-January. Obertauern is a well-known winter sports resort in Salzburg, which is uh, located in Western Austria. It has about 26 lifts over 100 kilometers of slopes and plenty of side and backcountry terrain for skiing and ski touring or backcountry skiing. And avalanche incidents there are not rare. And uh, yeah, we have the right guest today on the show to tell us more about Obertauern and uh, yeah, the incident and the situation there. My name is Matthias Schilchecker and I'm the mountain rescue leader in Obertauern. The interview with Matthias was uh, recorded in German and dubbed by JT Fischer. Thank you, JT, for your help. Yeah, no worries, Matthias. I'm trying to give my best here. Matthias, thanks for your time and willingness to participate in this podcast. Uh, let's start off by a little bit about your background. How long have you been part of the Mountain Rescue Organization? And, and since when are you the Mountain Rescue Leader of the unit in Obertauern? Also, I've been I've been with the Mountain Rescue Team in Obertauern since 1996. I joined at the age of 16 and now I've been here for more than 24 years. My motives to join were pretty much coming from my family background as my father and grandfather were both long-term members. And now I've 
already have the leadership for of the local unit since I think seven years. Are you a skier yourself as well, or do you go backcountry ski touring? Um, how much time do you spend in the mountains generally? Oh, I spend a lot of time in the mountain, a lot of ski touring, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, then alpine hiking, mountaineering, in the summer, in the winter, whatever is possible in our region. Oh, great. Um, yeah, the, the mountain rescue organization you're involved in. Um, is a voluntary organization in Austria. And uh, I read in the internet that it has about 300 local units and over 12,000 voluntary mountain rescuers. So that's a very large organization with many people who need to be trained, who need to be equipped. Um, who finances the mountain rescue and where does the money, yeah, where does the money come from? The Bergettung is immer Bundesländersache. In Austria, mountain rescue is organized uh, on the provincial level. So in our province, Salzburg, the local units are financed through sponsors, individuals, and through our operations. A certain percentage uh, of the income from an operation remains with our regional office. And I believe like something like 85% goes to the local unit, which pays pretty much for all equipment. How, how big is your, your local unit? We currently have 28 active members, from which six are still in training, and two of them are mountain rescue doctors. Mm -hmm. And what is the, the area of operation of your unit? The operating area includes the municipality of Untertauern and a part of the municipality of Twang. Uh, so everything about the totals, yeah, including Obertauern and the ski area, about 100 square kilometers. I don't know what this is in feet, but it's big. And if you wonder how big it really is, 100 square kilometers or about 40 square miles or 25,000 acres. And let's continue. So we heard earlier that, that six people from your uh, unit are currently undergoing training. How, how is the training, the education of the mountain rescuers organized? Um, for us, the procedure is as follows. Someone who's interested applies to join the rescue team and then starts with a like voluntary year. During this year, we look at the applicants and see how they relate to the mountains, how experienced they are and how good they move in the mountains. After this year, we decide, yes, she or he fits within the team and can help us or not. And then the actual training begins with four courses, a three-day first aid course, as well as one week uh, of winter course, rock course, and ice course. These courses must be completed within five years. As soon as they are completed, the person joins the local unit as a fully qualified mountain rescuer. So after this training, are there any uh, follow-up courses as well, or fresher courses to keep uh, the rescuers up to date? Yeah. Um, also Organized province-wide refresher courses do not really exist. 
However, one can always sign up for the regular courses and repeat them so that you're always up to date. The majorities of the refresher courses take place within the local unit. Here in Obertauern, since we are very busy in the winter, as most members work in the tourism industry, we do most of the training in summer. Thereby, we have about four hours of training a week, so it's very intensive. And in winter, we keep ourselves up to date with two winter exercises. So in other words, you also train the majority of um, avalanche rescue scenarios, avalanche rescue operations during the summer months. That's right. We run through the scenario theoretically. We do dry runs, but we also work with the field reports and have speakers come in and talk about whatever variety of topic we would like to hear. Mm -hmm. So, as we heard earlier, um, Obertauern is, is mainly a winter tourism destination. I assume also that you have significantly more rescue operations in, in winter than in summer. How? How many operations do you have in winter and, and how many of them are avalanche related? Um, in normal winter seasonen, how many winter circa? During a normal winter season, we have like 20 to 25 emergencies. And of these, 12 to 15 are due to avalanches. Okay, That's, that sounds quite a lot for the um, small area actually you're operating in. Or compared at least to, uh, to for example, um, North American standards. So, what is a normal procedure when you get a uh, when you get called into a rescue? Um, so normal procedure is so we get an einsatzbefehl. We get a usually we get a dispatch order from the from the emergency office, and we meet at the base. Then we briefly discuss the situation and tactics. Where is the operation? How do we get there? How big will the operation be? Do we need support or can we handle it with our local unit? Do we need helicopters, snowcats, snowmobiles, and so on and so on. After this assessment, we start into the field. Is that also the time when uh, the potential risk of a hang fire is, is taken into account? Hinkt eben damit zusammen, wo der Einsatz ist natürlich. It depends on where the operation takes place, especially in the backcountry. We always take the risk of hang fires in close consideration. Skiers climb up the mountain from all directions and you don't know where they were going or you might be surprised. In this case, the risk is uh, discussed and taken into account. Mm -hmm. So in the scenario of a rescue operation in the backcountry with a uh, prevailing risk of a secondary avalanche. Um, what measures are taken to reduce that risk for you as rescuers? We first make sure that we can place a control post at the highest point of the concerning slope, which can overlook the whole situation and prevent people from entering from anywhere else. Uh, and there's also an avalanche warning post who controls the situation from below. It is also necessary to, uh, to determine an escape route uh, to allow for a quick exit in case of any avalanche would be triggered. Furthermore, there's an internal regulation that no one is allowed to enter the area at risk without an activated uh, beacon. Mm -hmm. 
So the avalanche warning post um, was below the operational area or on the opposite slope. So he's trying to keep an eye on the situation and he's alerting uh, others at the scene if, if necessary, right? Genau, der steht irgendwo, dass er sie überblicken kann, die ganze Situation. Exactly. She or he is located somewhere where they can overlook the whole situation. They make themselves heard by shouting, blowing a whistle or honking a horn when anything dangerous is observed. The people in the hazardous area must then try to reach a safe place as quickly as, as possible. This is of course difficult, but fortunately it also rarely happens that a secondary avalanche occurs. But, it's, uh, but it certainly happens and the danger must not be underestimated. So what was the accident we are discussing the first in your career as a mountain rescuer where um, a hang fire avalanche and, and endangered the rescuers? It was the third, uh, first situation for me that rescuers were actually buried. However, we had already had two similar occasions, once where the hang fire released minutes after we had left the scene of the accident and another time while we were on scene. However, the avalanche in that case was not large enough that there was any danger. And in, that or in those cases, those avalanches were triggered naturally or, or by a person? No, no, they released spontaneously due to, for example, increase of temperature. Okay. Mm -hmm. So on the, on the day of the incident, the avalanche danger for the area was, was rated as being considerable. Um, storm snow, which was deposited with wind from a few days ago, was, was lying on an old snow surface that, that had uh, fastened due to a long and cold uh, period of good weather and, and represented a very active weak layer. So avalanches had already been observed on this layer in the previous days, actually in, in, whole, in the whole region of, uh, of or in whole Western Austria. And uh, the weather on the day of the accident was also quite pleasant. The wind was moderate to strong and it sounds to me like a very accident prone day. What, what happens, what, what happened that day? Um, we have, um... At the time of the incident, a mountain rescue colleague and myself, three Alpine police officers, as well as a member of the Avalanche Commission, were recording footage for an Austrian television network. Uh, we were actually staging an avalanche incident. We were like talking about the snowpack and the influence on the avalanche hazard and so on. So while we are doing this, we received the message that a large avalanche has occurred in close vicinity to our location, just like 300 meters away. One person was buried and two others were involved in the incident. As soon as we received the information, we fired up the helicopter. In the first rotation, three, Alpine, uh, three of the Alpine officers were flown to the avalanche. And in the second rotation, the three of us were uh, remaining. Okay, that's a lucky situation for the people who have been involved in that avalanche that uh, uh, that you as rescuers have been so close and you had a helicopter. So what happened in the in the accident itself? Das ist unvergessen ist, dass im drei Freerider 
auf die Sicker schneit. The accident occurred when three off-piste skiers descended the so-called Sicker schneit, a mountain which is approximately 20 to 30 minutes climb away from the ski resort and then they skied down to a very sheltered northwest slope. As you mentioned earlier, there was a lot of wind deposit already sitting on the on a pretty weak snowpack. The first person skied uh, alone in the slope without any problems and then waited at the safe spot. The second person, a lady, then followed. She skied between rocks where it is somewhat steeper and triggered uh, the avalanche. She was carried down slope about 200 meters and she was buried about one meter deep. So you get alerted, then you fly to the scene uh, of the incident in two rotations. What does the situation look like to you? In this case, the two companions had already started shoveling and had freed the lady up to the head. Uh, they were actually pretty professional. People who often travel in the back country usually know the subject and they are always in engaged in training and so on. The Alpine police officers jumped to help right into the rescue. We were dropped off uh, a little close nearby with a helicopter as we generally don't land the helicopter in close proximity to the victim. We were already on the way to the buried victim and at that moment the hang fire released and hit us from behind. We were on foot with skis, shovel and probe in our hands and had no chance uh, when the avalanche hit us. We were also unable to even trigger the airbag. Hmm. So you were you were carried away from the avalanche, and uh, and your colleague and and yours were were fairly buried. Also, we were während der Lawine komplett verschüttet worden, aber wie die Lawine stehen. We were completely submerged in the snow during the avalanche, but when the avalanche came to rest, uh, my head was outside, and my colleague was buried about 30 to 35 centimeters below the surface, but he was actually able to free himself. Okay. And, and then it turned out that the avalanche was actually triggered by another skier who, who entered the slope from above. Did you see the potential risk of a secondary avalanche released by another party when you entered the scene here? Did, did you uh, maybe even talk about it beforehand with your colleagues? Uh, in this case, in this case, the danger was certainly somewhat underestimated. We knew that further hazard could exist because uh, we were on the scene so quickly, there was not enough time to even assess or to prepare. Usually we have more time to structure the rescue and assess the, assess the situation before we even go into the field. In this case, everything happened incredibly quickly. We entered the scene without having a good overview of the situation and without cycling the scene with a helicopter beforehand to get an idea where the people are or who could approach from wherever. This could well be seen as a mistake or would have helped to minimize the risk. We have had many conversations after the accident, also with the Alpine police officers, and they also say it was simply the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the helicopter uh, was no longer sitting on the avalanche deposit at the moment of the secondary avalanche. Is this normal routine that the helicopter takes off immediately after unloading you? 
ist in dem Fall eigentlich normale Routine, weil der Helikopter yes, wieder Yes, this was actually normal routine, as the helicopter was on its way again to bring additional rescuers to the scene. The helicopter took off, turned around again to look at the situation from above, and it was that moment that the second avalanche was actually triggered. The photos in the media where you can see the avalanche with dust clouds, uh, cloud and the rescuers below were taking at exactly this moment. So uh, fortunately, nothing else happened and, and no one was injured. No, there were no injuries or casualties. The outcome of the situation was quite fortunate. Even the lady who was buried was not caught by the secondary avalanche. She was unharmed and only suffered a mild hypothermia. Okay, that's good. What are the conclusions for you and your team that you, that you can draw from this event? So um, what could have been done better? What, what lessons uh, will you take away for, for future operations? It is a lot easier to deal with the situation and minimize risk if a safety structure is in place. In an operation like this, when it starts so quickly, everyone really has to look out for each other and remind each other. Do we have an avalanche warning post? Is there risk from further skiers coming from above? That is someone overlooked and is the main lesson we have learned from it. It's hard in a case like this. First and foremost, of course, we have to rescue people. With this overruling goal, it is easy to forget certain things at the scene. But on the whole, we didn't make a big mistake and would probably do the same way again today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this... Um... This actually reminds me of the uh, scenarios that we always run through during avalanche training. So we always teach and, and learn that the first thing we need to do is to stay calm, right? When an avalanche occurs, to get an overview and, and to act thoughtfully, uh, not start rushing into searching uh, without, uh, yeah, mindlessly. And in these, in, in these scenarios, I'm, I'm repeatedly noticing that it's precisely that particular point that most practitioners tend to just bypass because of course you instinctively uh, instinctively uh, want to help as fast as possible and in moments of stress you just skip steps which slow you down in, in reaching your ultimate goal Yes, and we also try to prevent this in mountain rescue operations. Before we move out, move out, there's always a control post that checks whether the airbag is activated, whether the beacon is switched on and someone who registers the names. It's always very important to us that we know exactly who and how many people are on the scene. Who is leaving the scene? Exactly because of risks like hang fire, so that you always know is someone missing, is everyone here? Mm -hmm. And in this case, no one actually took on that, that task because you were thrown into, into that situation so quickly. Genau, this is this. That's right. There was no incident commander. The people who were uh, on the site were flown in and off they went. And in these scenarios, of course, things happen inc incredibly quickly and some things can be forgotten or you don't pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Matthias. Um, 
for the interview. Is there anything else you would like to, to add to this talk? Mm. Um, what I would like to add is that this can really happen to anyone, that you can trigger a secondary avalanche. Just as it happened in this case in Obaton, the person who saw the avalanche wanted to help, meant well, skis down and triggers another avalanche. So if you can see an avalanche somewhere and people who are standing underneath it do not follow their tracks in any case, wait until the situation is clarified. Look for a ski line far away from the scenario or simply choose to retreat. So that's what you really have to watch out for, that you don't endanger anyone else. Mm -hmm. That's a good advice. And actually, it's uh, somewhat also the same situation as we just discussed. Uh, a person who observes an avalanche wants to intervene and help and, and rushes off without first pausing and thinking, uh, do that uh, assessment uh, one minute or so and then decide what to do. Can I intervene at all? Uh, how do I get to the scene of the accident? Am I endangering ever anyone? Perfect. Thanks, Matthias, for the interview and, and the interesting uh, insights. Bitte gern, hoffe so passt. Okay. Okay. You ready? I am. <laughs> now we are entering the second part of this episode with Manka and her story about a very similar incident than the one we just heard about. However, an incident with, as you will hear, a quite unbelievable chain of events and resulting in a total of three fatalities. Hello, my name is Manta Vogbachun. I'm from Slovenia, from Tržić, and I'm a PhD in, I have a PhD in geography, and I work at a Geographical Institute of Anton Milik in Ljubljana. I'm very happy you're here today, um, sharing your highly interesting story with us today, Manka. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, what are your main duties, Manka? How are you uh, involved in the snow and avalanche work? So I, I mainly um, research the, the avalanche incidents. Um, I do it um, in my work duties. So, and I also help with um, local avalanche um, forecast. Okay. And that, that is also how you ended up on that avalanche rescue scene, right? Yes, I, I ended up there because the police um, called me so we can investigate the situations and the um, danger and what really happened on the mountain that day. Okay, so you usually after an incident, uh, you investigate the avalanche together with the police. Um, police usually do, but um, like experts are not usually called in in Slovenia. So uh, luckily, it's not many ex avalanche accidents here in Slovenia. So this the practice is not um, really common. So so why was it this time that you were? You were caught on scene. Yeah, we just had a mountain rescue police um, and a course on Zelenica mountain. So we are just talking about this incident. And after a few days, this accident happened. So they just called me because we were um, 
we were just talking about the, this danger and um, avalanches in Slovenia. The general danger of the situation or the danger of that uh, specific mountain? No, general. They, they were on field work and they called me. So we made some um, snow profiles and assessing the avalanche danger and talking about the danger in, in, in the mountains. So mm -hmm. this was the consequence of this. Event. Okay, so the situation was very unfavorable during that dates in generally in, in those part of the Slovenian Alps. Yes, it was um, quite a cold weekend and very windy. So the avalanche danger was considerable and high above um, 1,800 meters. Um, it was really dangerous because um, large areas of um, uh, wind slabs were created. So the local avalanche danger was quite high. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just uh, for anybody who doesn't have a clue where Slovenia is located, um, Slovenia is a small country on the northern east of Italy, on the southern east edge of the Alps. <laughs> and if you still don't have a clue, you better look it up yourself. Um, yeah, so uh, Manka, you are issuing the public avalanche forecast for this region, right? Or for the municipality of, of Turzic? Yes, I help also with this work. So quite unfavorable conditions on the mountains. However, this did not hinder some climbing parties to head into, into the mountains, into some serious terrain. Um, the avalanche incident happened on, on Storjik Mountain. If somebody knows the area, I think Storjik Mountain is, is on the east of the city of Turzik, right? Yes, it's a mountain in the Karavanke Savinia Alps. Uh, sorry, the Kamnik and Savinia Alps. Um, it's around 2,130 meters high. And its north face is popular during winter for climbers um, because um, there are many climbing routes, quite steep and um, challenging. Um, and um, it's very popular for, for winter ascents to Storjic. As I'm aware of, it is a uh, these are all mixed climbing routes, right? So snow, yes. ice, and, and rock. Um, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there were three parties with two persons each involved in the occurrences on that day. So what happened? So the first accident occurred at um, 10.30 in the morning. So the first two alpinists were climbing the north wall of Storjic. They were probably climbing the Czerny Graben or the Black Graben, if you, if you say it in English. Um, we presume that at about 1,900 meters, an avalanche was triggered. We don't know it was, or it was uh, spontaneous or, or they, the climbers triggered it. Um, but the avalanche brought them down and um, carried them to an altitude about 1,450 meters. Um, at the same time, at the entrance of 
the same route uh, two other climbers were there at the time. So they managed to ex escape the, the main flow of the avalanche, but they were still buried um, up to their waist. And when they dig, dug themselves out, they saw um, two objects on the top of the avalanche and they immediately start searching for any avalanche victims. Um, and so they found these two first climbers and they were not responsive. Um, one of them was on the top of the avalanche and the other one was partly buried with um, their head um, under the snow. So, um, and they were not showing any signs of life. So they called the emergency number and um, the rescue operation started. Uh, the local mountain rescue service of Terzic uh, was called on the spot and also the military helicopter was activated. So due to the situation, they know they knew that um, few people are dead and so they called also the police helicopter and the police. After this first um, accident and before the, the rescuers came to the spot, two other climbers came to, the, to this area and started to climbing this um, so-called Kramer route. It's the same route as we said before, but they changed the, the way on, on the mountain. So um, when they saw the two surviving climbers, um, they talked with them shortly, but they, they decided to climb, to start climbing anyway. So we don't know why. Uh, or the communication was bad. Um, but I guess they just didn't know that the avalanche came down, just came down this route they wanted to climb. So at 20 minutes past one, the second avalanche occurred um, and the rescue was still in progress. And when this happened, uh, the area was three rescuers and they were still on the spot. At the spot, they were preparing the first two victims for transport. And due to this avalanche danger and very dangerous conditions, the rescue team was minimized. So only few people were there, only the doctors and a um, few other ones. So when the, the rescuers from the base, base operation um, saw that the, the other avalanche is coming down, um, they warned those three rescuers on the spot so they could run and... Um, okay, so the chain of events was basically that those first two climbers triggered an avalanche and were transported down these 500 meters vertical uh, over this uh, very rough uh, terrain. Yeah. Um, and they died due to trauma, I guess, because they were both on the surface basically, right? Yeah, first first two climbers. Yeah, and, and they both died due to trauma. Yes, they both died through, through, due yeah. to trauma, yes. 
yeah, yeah. And then those those two people who have been in the depositions zone who have also been affected by the avalanche, they were partially buried at that point in time, and they uh, managed to dig themselves out. And we're trying to get first aid to the two people who were uh, swallowed down by the avalanche. However, they were already dead and they called uh, the rescuers. Um, what I don't understand is on that same moment when those two people have attended the two uh, deaf persons uh, uh, on the avalanche deposit, that there was a second party who basically walked by, but were also they were also talking to each other. Is there more information on that? I just don't get it how those people can just pass by. Like it's not, it's not possible to not see the situation when you know when you when two people are there attending two deaf bodies who have been brought down by an avalanche, who have been just killed by an avalanche, that you then enter that same face again, but the different route and yeah, put yourself and other rescuers uh, uh, at risk. Yeah, we don't know exactly why this third party started to climb the, the route when the, they saw that the victims were buried, they were dead. But they in fact, they in fact saw that. They talked also to the other party. Yeah, they talked, but they talked very shortly. And I, I think that those two that survived the first avalanche, I think they didn't tell them tell them that the avalanche came down this this route from which they wanted to climb. Mm -hmm. I think that they thought that the avalanche came from the other part of the Storjic mountain, um, which is pop more popular with the um, uh, tour skier. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know why and still still strange though to yeah. like to leave that situation and also like to realize that there is obviously an avalanche risk since it's a fresh avalanche yeah. uh, like to, to to decide this way and then also yeah and then it, it so that happened at about the avalanche happened the first one at 10 30 and then um a half an hour later, the mountain rescuers arrived. In the meantime, the third party entered the slope or entered the, the, the face, I should say. And then it took probably one and a half hours because the second avalanche uh, uh, was triggered at about 20 minutes past one while the rescue operation was still taking place um, in the deposition zone, in the runout zone, basically, or yeah, deposition zone of that, of that first avalanche and also the second avalanche. Yeah. The rescuers um, saw this third party um, climbing up and they saw them at around 2000 meters, just, just below the, the top of Storjic mountain, actually, uh, just a few minutes before this second avalanche occurred. So they, are, they were very high and um, they probably triggered a slap avalanche mm -hmm. um, when they were climbing up. So the mountain rescuers were, were very well aware of those two uh, climbers. They were also aware of the risk because you told me that um, 
there were only a few rescuers actually on the slope in order to minimize the risk. Um, were there other measures taken to minimize the risk of those people who are on the slope? Or where, where did the other, you said they were alarmed when the second avalanche came down? Yes, a few rescuers were down by the Stargic hut and they were looking at the Stargic mountain to, to see if any other avalanche would occur and to warn the, the rescuers on the site. So also the, the um, helicopter saw the avalanche and warned the, the rescuers on site. So um, they were luckily um, warned at the right time so they could um, run away. And uh, also the, the, this military helicopter also saw the, these two other victims uh, brought down by the avalanche. Mm -hmm. So uh, immediately they said that two other victims are there so they could uh, go and help them when the mm -hmm. avalanche. However, the rescuers were also caught by the avalanche, right? Um, yes, they were caught a little bit. Um, mainly they were um, injured because of um, running um, on this hard terrain, uh, avalanche terrain. Um, because they, you can easily, easily um, sleep or whatever, and they were bruised, and it was also very cold, so few frostbites were there um, with these um, rescue members. So, mm -hmm. um, luckily, nothing serious happened. Yeah, the, the doctor uh, broke his arm. You told yeah, me, right? Yeah, this was yeah. the most serious injury, and that was due to a fall mainly. Yes. Uh -huh. yes. Okay. Um, you said there was also a, a helicopter on scene. Was it? Was there the discussion of flying these two climbers who are threatening the a rescue operation out of the of the mountain face? I think no. Um, Probably they they just focused on rescuing rescuing these um, victims from the site, and they were not thinking about um, picking up those two climbers to minimize the risk. So mm -hmm. maybe this is one of the the things they have to consider in same rescue missions in the future. So. Mm -hmm. What, what happened to the two climbers who uh, who triggered the second avalanche and were transported down? Um, he, also, one of them were dead um, at the site, um, and one of them survived with with minimal injuries, hmm. basically. Lucky him. He was uh, on top of the avalanche, or both of them were on top of the avalanche? Yeah, they were both on the top of the avalanche. No one was buried. Um, hole so yeah. yeah they were just partially buried is it also because the the mass of the avalanche was or of both avalanche avalanches wasn't that large probably yes um the avalanches weren't were small but um when you are climbing these hard routes and steep routes 
Um, it's nothing you can do. It's, yeah. You can you can't run from these um, gullies. So yeah, yeah, and there's not a lot you like not a lot of force which is needed to to drag you down the whole mountain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if like, what are the takeaway messages um, from this incident? What 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 would you make different another time, or what are the yeah the uh, the lessons you learned? Um, probably all of these accidents could be prevented if um, if they would wait for better better avalanche conditions and better weather conditions. Um, and if um, probably the communication between those climbers were were, were better, so um, so the surviving climbers would inform the, the the third party that there is an avalanche danger that the rescuers are coming they could help and not climb the route um, and also the but the this danger of secondary avalanche um, is always an option so the rescuers have to have this in mind to to know to minimize the risk and to be prepared that the secondary avalanche can occur and they have a safe route to evacuate from the area. Mm -hmm. And this obviously also happened. I mean, you, uh, as you said, you had only a few people uh, in that endangered zone. You had people who watched those other climbers who uh, posed the risk um, and it, the outcome could have been a lot worse if other decisions were made, I'm sure. And also with the wind, you, you talked about that, they probably would have been very hard to uh, evacuate those two persons out of that, out of that mountain. Um, yeah, it was quite high wind um, and it was um, hard to fly a helicopter in winds like that. So what is your feeling about the avalanche awareness and education in Slovenia. So these 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 three parties who were involved were they all from the region? Slovenia is a small country, so we're all from the region. <laughs> but they were all Slo from Slovenia. Uh, yes, they were all from Slovenia. One of them was was also a rescue member from Terzic, so he was a local. What what is your what is your feeling? Are are people? reading the bulletin are they aware of the avalanche risk or is there is there maybe also a difference between um, backcountry skiers and climbers the awareness is is rising in these years because more and more people go to the mountains and also more people go to this um, this avalanche class and um, educational um, courses so more and more people aware are aware of avalanche danger um, but it is a slight difference between tour skier and climbers because when you climb you climb light and fast and you normally don't carry all the avalanche equipment with you mm -hmm. Um, on the other hand, the, the 
tour skier, the free riders, they they normally do, or we hope they do. Mm-hmm. So it it is a quite a difference between climbers and skiers. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting, interesting story. Also, with that that high avalanche danger combined with like six people in that super uh, uh, exposed and um, high consequence terrain. Uh, an extraordinary example, and and also you as rescuers involved in this incident, obviously did a a, a, a good job in in, uh, in risk reduction at that point by and also like helping the parties who were uh, who were involved there. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, uh, is there is there something you also would like to to add? I think we we managed to to tell enough about this accident. <laughs> Thank you, Manka, uh, for your time and and for sharing your your story. This was very interesting. Thank you to you too. And thanks also to you listeners for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our today's topic. And if you have any subjects you would like to hear on our European episodes. Or if there is any European expert you would like to be interviewed, send us a message on podcast at aasa.at, as in Austrian Association for Snow and Avalanches. That's podcast at aasa.at. Thank you.